Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 360th episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your host, Mason, who is very good at coming up with intros. Joined by my not as good at coming up intros co-host, Abe. Abe, how you doing? I'm doing great. I think I am also pretty good at coming up with intros. You just never give me the chance. Well, you've, you've never failed at it, which makes it true, but you've also never succeeded. So I'm going to have to let you have it one of these weeks. That way you can know. You know, it's Yeah, little... maybe maybe something for the viewers to look forward to. Listeners, you'll you'll hear a new set. I just don't want to... You have a long history of doing this. I know you don't like to repeat, and I don't want to accidentally repeat. I need to, like... I need a list. Do you have a spreadsheet running of what I, they are? I do not. If I were you, I would suggest just clicking on every past episode and just writing them down. That way you would have the complete list, and then you wouldn't have any problems with needing to ask me. And I already did the work because I came up with the intros. Does that sound fair? Yeah, I'll just wing it. Yeah, yeah no, doubt, no doubt. I mean, what are the odds? I mean, like... I'm so funny, and you're not saying you're not funny, but you're funny in different ways. So, like, we probably wouldn't hit the same one. Although, it would yeah. be really funny if you did do the same one I've done before after <laughs> saying all of this. I mean, there's just such a large thing. I'm sure it's, like, easy for me. Like, I'm not going to do anything like my peanut butter co-host, Mason, and I, the jelly, Abraham Stein. No, because that's, like, that's too obvious, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't do that either. I'm not, you know. Not like okay, maybe I should go for more of those. There's yeah. a whole metagame here that we really have to dive into on another episode. Uh, I, I hate metagaming, man. Just play the best deck possible, you know? Just do that <laughs> thing. Do the best intro possible every time. No, but, you know, today uh, we have a pretty exciting episode. We're going to talk about our fearless magic inventories and a way to improve in magic, which I, these are kind of some of our favorite episodes talking about those improving things. And I know that name of a thing I just said sounds like some Himajahabal Hubility, but we'll get more to that later. But first, Abe, what was our, your always improving moment this week? Uh, my always improving moment this week came with the historic SCGs, um, where I went on a really good run with a Jun Sack, where I, I like played two two satellites. I went like four two and one with a list that like I had like fifteen minutes to register. Didn't have all the wild cards to like copy a deck list. Was like throwing things around and messed up, uh, and like still four two'd. And then I like tuned it a bit and came back and six o'd. Um, but between like Saturday night and Sunday, we had this long conversation, you, me, Kyle, and Ginger about um, just like sideboarding theory and like what cards are and aren't important in some matchups like pre and post board. Because I know that I like to do things pretty differently with uh, with like these engine decks than a lot of people do. I think it might have something to do with how much I played Rally the Ancestors in that standard format and how comfortable I was with that and how comfortable I am with decks like that. Uh, and how I also think that a lot of people who I know also played those decks a little differently or like thought of things a little differently. Uh, but something that I really learned from and I really grew from was like us kind of bantering back and forth about how we thought one of us was wrong I'm not going to say who was wrong or who was right, but that one of us was wrong. And then using like our points internally for me, turning that into like what I wanted to do, like taking the information and be like, oh, I hadn't considered that specifically in this case, Woe Strider was a little worse in the post board games than I was considering it in some of these matchups and was able to like adjust my plans so that I could leave in more of my better cards um, because like my deck was still going to function well enough without like this piece um and i just think that you know you spend that time working with people and uh taking the information that you each have in your experiences and your beliefs and synthesizing them that's like a a big thing and it's been a while since i've been able to do that usually that's something you do like at the hotel room or on the drive to like a, a paper tournament but we you know haven't had that so uh it was, it was good to get back to that yeah. i definitely felt like with yund i i did learn uh, a good bit and was able to like adjust and come into the tournament more prepared than I would have been without it. Yeah, for sure. I, I, the, the Saturday night discord call is the new year driving up to the event on a Friday. That is the, that is the replacement. It's kind of taken over. It's, but yeah, that, the conversation yeah. was definitely good. And I, I do think that's good to, even if you ultimately don't do everything, we don't come to total conclusions, you know, learning from others and how the way they think about stuff, I think is super helpful, obviously. Right. Like, yeah. And there's, there's no like, right or wrong there right like in some of those things it's like it really comes down to how you believe things are happening right because none, none of us have perfect data on like what percentage wise is the best thing to be doing or like what the exact perfect plan is so long as you like 
are taking in someone else's point of view and experience and how they have thought about it and processed it and use that to make a fuller picture for yourself. That's really what it's about. And I was able to do that. Yeah, I find that knowing that too is super important for thinking about how they'll play the games, how they're going to prioritize their removal and stuff like that, especially the deck like Sacrifice, right? Like I've, I've been playing a lot of Black White Orcs recently. And when I had Myers Grasp in my deck, it very much became like, okay, am I Myers Grasping Gooses or Devils? Like, or War Striders? Like, how, what cards am I prioritizing with the context of what's going on in the game? And is there like a default thing I'm going to go to? And eventually it got to the point where I was playing Deadweight. It's like, all right, Gooses or War Striders are both really important, you know? And like, you have to kind of figure that stuff out and figure it because it matters a lot how they're going to play. Are they going to run a Woe Strider out early when it's such a powerful engine against you? Maybe not. So maybe you need to hold these dead weights, you know, or et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I think that stuff's super important. It was super interesting to have those conversations, especially, you know, hearing the differing opinions on Gilded Goose. Uh, if you were there, you know, and if you're not, you missed an hour <laughs> conversation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is, by the way, this is now the second time, Abe, we've had a hour-plus conversation about green mana dorks. We need to have an intervention someday. Those cards are very good. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I, they're good, man, but, you know, the game's... I don't, I don't got into this. They're Let's really good. How, what was your always improving this week, Mason? What did you do to better yourself? Thank, thank you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for asking. Well, uh, I played Black White Auras for this weekend's uh, MIQ. I played the MIQ and not the SCG. And uh, I was going into that format. I felt really good about my deck. I felt, as I was playing the deck all week, the deck is so powerful and so consistent. And there's an always improving moment in there of, like, hey, I ruled this thing out. We talked about that a little bit last week. But really what happened is when the MIQ rolled around, uh, funny enough, I actually, I helped uh, a friend, Abby, prepare for the MIQ the night before on Friday, and she kept losing the black white matchup, I kind of helped her and showed her, like, these are the ways to do things, like, these are some, like, little tricks that you should remember in the matchup, like, Binding of the Old Gods can hit your Kiliod's punishments, or whatever the card's called, Judgment, uh, and don't forget yep. that, etc., etc., and things like that, and then I got paired randomly against Abby in round one of the MIQ, we just had apparently both clicked at start, and I lost, and it was a little, it was a little frustrating, it was like, okay, yeah, whatever, that's fine, and I played the next round, I played against Philippa, and I was really close, and I was, like, a little frustrated. And then I played against, uh, oh, I forgot their name, but it was someone else. I played against a bunch of people I knew, like, played Tommy Ashton. I had all these games against these people that I knew, and I was getting so incredibly unlucky. And, like, all of them. I was, like, scrapping for my wins. And I was, like, tell them I was getting upset, and I was getting frustrated. And so I stopped, and I just ran some errands, got some food, came back, finished it up. I didn't end up making day two. I ended up losing out at five and three, I believe. Um maybe six and three something around that lines but either way i lost out playing for it but the last three or four matches i played after having the kind of the rough and rocky start and feeling like what's going on etc etc i was able to get better and it was good to recontextualize and not recontextualize but recenter myself i should say uh with that going on because it's a little weird where as we're actually talking about later today i actually think my ability to not really tilt and get super upset and stuff is one of my stronger suits but on the flip side because it doesn't happen to me very often, recentering myself uh, when it does happen takes a little longer, right? Because I don't have the practice. Like, I basically, I can balance really well, but once I fall over, it's like, how do I get back up again? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, everyone else is like, got really good at getting back up here. I just like sit there and balance. Uh, so that, that was good just to kind of have that and a little practice on that whole thing. So that was my always improvement this week. It's really tough in an online setting, especially with like the MAQ, where you kind of like want to get your matches done and like you can just mash re to like stop yourself. Whereas in paper, there's like a natural flow of the day and you have time, like you play around, you get a little frustrated. You have like 15, 20 minutes to decompress. Even if you're the last match, you can usually get like five to 10 minutes if you talk to a judge and like, it's like, hey, like I was the last match, I need to go to the bathroom, get some water. Like you can walk around and take some time to yourself, but. It's really hard when you're just, you know, you're sitting at your computer, you're playing your match, like a couple of things don't break your way in a row, and then you're frustrated about it to like, to have a natural break because you do just want to get back in there and like be like, I can't get this unlucky again. Let's just jam. But you're like, not, you're not there. Yeah, for sure. And especially so. with deck like auras where you definitely have some draws that like kill people. But what I've, what I've learned is is that auras isn't a good phone deck like i thought it would be at the start i could like play on my lunch break because you just naturally have so many grindy games so you're kind of incentivized to like make sure to get your games going because you can very easily have 45 minute 50 minute games especially with decks like blue eye control which are fairly popular where your game plan is i'm going to run you out to this last turn go all in on this thing after i've exhausted all your resources and then kill you that's the game plan it's like all right that's like an hour long match yeah and if if i have two or three of those that's like going to cut into my day etc so 
there's a lot of pressure to get in there on that. But yeah, I, I definitely feel it more with online tournaments. I also think there's something to like, it's weird because this time I knew, I like literally knew every opponent I played Abe except for one. I was just like, oh, that's so-and-so. Like, oh, I know this person. Like, what's going on? How do, how am I playing? Is that Tommy Ashton? I like Google Stanerson. I'm like, it's Tommy <laughs> Ashton. Like, what the? <laughs> this is so absurd. And like, how is every opponent someone I know from Magic? But uh, yeah, uh, when it's like the online thing, though, it's very easy for it to be like not a person. Like, I think a uh, mutual friend of ours, Lee, had a great tweet at the start of the pandemic where at the beginning, uh, when you're playing a match tournament in person, you, you look at your opponent, you're playing your game, like they have thoughts and feelings and they have plans and et cetera, et cetera, and they're trying really hard. But when it's the, like you play the same person behind a computer screen, like what an absolute idiot played terribly. <laughs> like what a baboon. Just like actually, yeah. and it's so much easier to forget like it's a person or whatever. Uh, especially like, you know, like in that sort of situation, if you're prone to that sort of thing, I imagine happens more. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I always thought that that's so true. Like when it's just like the Teferi emote saying like good game or I have no time for games, you know, it's just like very different than if it's a real person in front of you that you're talking to and having this little relationship with. So that was my, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely different. It is way different. Unfortunately for you, though, Abe, the thing that's not way different is our great sponsor, Oasis Games. You go to OasisGames.com right now, pre-order your Strixhaven cards, get your Mystical Archive cards with those alternate arts. I know. I'm going to keep it a buck. We're sponsored. That's what I'm going to use with some of my sponsorship money. I'm going to get the Sweet Faithless Lootings. I like both the Japanese and the English one. That's my hot take. Which one are you getting, Abe? If I had to get between the two? No, no, no. Any archive card. Sorry. My oh, any archive card? Any archive card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's this one you're getting? Electrolyze. The Electrolyzes look... The Japanese Electrolyze looks so good. <laughs> and it crazy. really bothers me because I already own textless Electrolyzes that I like a lot. Like the game day promo ones. Those are good. And, and I just... Like I might have to upgrade... But I don't know. Like, I have so many memories to my Jeskai cards. And, like, I'm never going to – like, am I really ever going to play them in a deck again? Are they ever going to be good enough? Probably not. But, like, do I get a lot of value out of owning them? And, like, I like them a lot, you know? So, like, <laughs> that one looks really good. Yeah. F fun little side story. Yesterday I actually did a set review with Ash Lizzle, the uh, streamer. And we got to the Mystical Archive cards. And for that one, it was kind of a different dynamic because I know those cards and Ash doesn't. You know, she's an arena boomer. Yeah. Arena zoomer. And so we did this game where I was like, why? What are your thoughts on this card? Where I would just like set her up, you know, for like, this is like, is this card terrible? Is it busted? I hit her with Electrolyze. And you know that meme where like SpongeBob's like sweating and he's like unsure if he can do it or not? It was her. And she was like, <laughs> she's like, okay, I think it's bad. I think it's bad. There's no way it's good. And I was like, bingo, you did it. <laughs> it's so close though. <laughs> Contextually, man, it could. It could be good. It will never be good again. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. So funny. But if you want to go there, you can pick up your Mystical Archive cards, etc. Go to Oasis Games. Use code CCM2G at checkout to get a discount. 15% uh, off your first order. And would that be good to get 4% off every order? That's would that be good. Abe, if I wanted and, to get uh, some digital stuff, where would I go? Yeah, if you're an arena zoomer, as as they're called now, uh, and you want to go get some sick cosmetics, some of the secret lair drops, uh, some of the exclusive timed event like promo sleeves, you can go to Grey Viking Games. I was actually browsing Grey Viking Games earlier today because someone had asked me where I got my Watch Wolf sleeves that were actually a gift from someone who had, like, a friend who got the two and, like, didn't want them. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're all, like, Watch Wolf was Jonathan's connect like, Moto username is Watch Wolf 92 and so, like, as a collective, we're, like, the Watch Wolf School of Crushing is what he's decided we're called. And so he, like, wanted us all to have them. But if you like those, you can actually buy them! I looked it up. You can get them for, like, 15 bucks. You can get those and, like, there's cat sleeves. It's apparently this, like, cat v-dog corset event. That you can get the sleeves in. So if you're a Watchful fan for any reason, fan of fan of the card, fan of the player, uh, you can go get those at GreyVikingGames.com. Use code CCMTG at checkout for ten percent off. That's a lot of percent. That is a lot. It's a lot of percent. You save a lot of money that way. You get a lot yeah. of card packs there too. And they they also have like the full like tattoo art sleeves. They've got all the good stuff. All mm -hmm. the goods. Pack codes are really cheap. You can get like. You know, you can get the Planeswalker decks or whatever if you need to, like, fill out your your collection of random commons and some, like, one-off Planeswalkers and stuff. Too, which is actually good, because you get a couple Corvalls. Yeah. And that's, like, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff right? in there. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. if you think about it too the like the rate of our mythic rare wild card is like seventeen dollars. That's like what you'd expect like to buy packs to get the free one. That's like the going cost of it. So if it's like less than that and there's a Corvald, I think that that came with two Corvalds. You're getting like a really good deal, and that card's you know kind of proven to be really strong. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, how I don't it goes. know. Have you heard about that Corvald <laughs> card? It's it's kind of good. It's a real wham bonanza. <laughs> so that's that's Grey Viking Games code CCMTG checkout ten percent. Go check them out for all of your cosmetic needs for Arena. If you don't want to spend a bunch of gems and wait and refresh your daily deals for those sleeves you want, they have them, and they have ones you can't get in the daily deals, too. It's awesome. 100%. The final way to support us is to go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. One of the perks of being a patron, you get to ask a question like this one from Slayer in the Discord. Slayer says, I have kind of a weird question, but hopefully it'll be helpful. I've been playing an okay amount of SCG Satellite Defense recently. I found myself able to qualify for the championship qualifiers, which if you haven't played these before, Friday and Saturday you can qualify for the Sunday main event. So he's qualifying for the Sunday main event a fair bit. My problem is I have a much harder time doing well at the championship qualifier events compared to how I'm doing in the satellite events. Is there any way to approach essentially invite-only events, invite-only style events compared to open events like the satellites, or is it just a matter of continuing to play as much as I can and improve? Do you want to do you want to take this one, Mason, or do you want to play off me? I, I'm I'm going to let you say all the smart stuff, and then I'm going to parrot it. That's my game plan. All right, that's great. So uh, there's like a lot going on there, and it's definitely not a weird question or a bad one. I really appreciate it when I read it in the Discord. I was like, that's a great question. Uh, so it's thank a hard you to question Slayer. to answer too, right? Because like, how often do you play yeah. only tournaments? Not often. Yeah. So the unique thing about the SCGs is that you actually have a full list available to you if you do a little bit of digging and data collection on everyone that qualifies and like what they most recently played because you can go through the melee events for the like eight satellites and look at the results and look at all their deck lists and so i've done this before where it's kind of like reading the tea leaves you don't really know what all of it means like there's a lot of things that could explain a lot of things because uh you know like for the standard ones like maybe sultai ultimatum decks like are really good in the first and like the 5 a.m on friday one but there's like not as many players and it's like a different time zone of people who are even playing and then like by the end of the weekend maybe like no one's playing soul tie ultimatum anymore because like it keeps on getting hated out but what the satellites do is they make a good winner's metagame and a pretty intelligent winner's metagame too and it's a lot easier to win in the satellites um just in general because there's there's not people who are also on the level of like five, five, one-ing, six-oing, four-two-ing, making their way into the Sunday. Um, so it can just be harder. Like you will get a lot fewer of those like wins where it's like, yeah, like we had to play it out and it was like still, still could be close. But I know I'm favored because I'm playing some tier one deck and like I have a bunch of plans. My opponent is playing like something that is pretty solidly like below par. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh for the format so that can make it tough but really if you're worried about like trying to make sure that you're playing the right deck think about think about the other decks that are winning with you when you're qualifying like if you like go 5-1 or you go 6-0 go back and look at those deck lists and go look at the other 5-1s and 6-0s because those are the decks that really you're gonna have to worry about because those are all the players who are gonna be playing on sunday and when you see something like i remember a couple weeks back it was the last standard SCG. I had like laid it all out on the spreadsheet and we were talking about it and it was like, yeah, yeah, like rogues started to have a really bad conversion rate as the weekend went on, but also Sultai stopped being played as much and wasn't winning early. So it was like, uh, it, there's like a story there of, of is rogues doing very well? Like is, are these worse rogues pilots that are playing in the later ones? Cause the early ones already qualified. Like you can just look at all the deck lists of people who have qualified and lay those out, and that's a rough estimate of what you think the metagame would be like. And if you find that you're not playing something that's well-positioned to beat just the cream of the crop, because you're already coming in on this, like, kind of like day two of the GP metagame, where you know you're playing against players who are also winning. Uh, but you get to paint a good picture of that just by looking at the melee data, and I think that's, like, the number one thing I would say to do, other than making sure that you're not, like, basing your deck choices off of, like all of the matchups you played in the qualifier because that's not the picture, right? Yeah, that's a very small, small stroke of a painting. Yeah, I think that's super good and important. And the way I kind of think about it is, 
Uh, have you ever played an SCG or a GP, like a two-day event? You make day two and you're like, if I had only known that this was going to happen, I would have played this deck, right? Or I would have done this thing differently. That's kind of what happens in these SCGs, right? Like you 4-2 gives you the qualification. And you 5-1 or 6-0, you get some buys, you know, whatever. And then you're kind of playing day two. And day two, you know, is where all the money is. So it's a little inverse compared to normally like you do 9-6, you know, 6-9. and nine. And I think that's the way to look at it. Where it's like, okay, you've had all these two days of data. You can look at it and then you can be like, okay, if I saw this sort of stuff happening, what would I do differently if I was continuing the tournament with the same deck slash would I want to change decks? I think that's super important a way to look at it. I think the other way to look at it too, when it comes to like maybe things aren't going as well, is to continue with that analogy of it being like day two of an event, right? Where like on day two, typically since people have to earn their place here, you know, like it's not it's not open for everyone, right? It's just much harder because people are going to have better win rates and kind of know what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. So the fact that you're having a harder time in day two makes sense, right? Like you're clearly qualified, like able to qualify and good enough to do that sort of thing, Slayer. But in day two, you're just going to have harder games, right? Like we've seen PV with the early SCG satellites back when he was playing those inside the MPL stuff. He would like 0-3 a couple of them every time. It just happens. It's just, it it's going to happen to everyone. It's going to happen to you. And the further you get in it, it's going to become progressively harder and harder and harder. So that sort of thing I think is natural. And I think continue to play them and just sort of know that like, hey, the caliber of player is going to be higher. I need to make sure I'm playing well, playing tight and getting that sort of pre- uh, practice and pressure on you i think is good and it will help with that sort of situation and also get out of your head about it you know i, I don't know if this is the case or not but i could very easily see it being like yeah i mean i was five one the satellites but then i like four three the main event and i'm out you know it's just like no every event is new just because in the past you've done something doesn't mean you're gonna do it in the future you know just just because abe got ninth on breakers one time doesn't mean Abe's gonna get ninth on breakers another time it's cool except i did <laughs> Well, just because Abe's done it twice doesn't mean it's going to happen the third time. I, you know, like that. That's that's the way. You know, and so like, just remove yourself from the situation. The results. Just play the best magic you can. And I think if you work on that sort of stuff and you kind of look at those sort of things, make sure your sideboard plans are making sense. Making sure what other people are doing isn't adapting to you too much. I think it's reasonable. And uh, I would also say, don't like overshoot basically and be like, oh, I see that all these rogue decks are gone because no one's playing ultimatum. So I think everyone's going to play ultimatum and then I'm going to play rogues to catch those people like chill. Just, you know, make reasonable choices. You don't need to big brain five head the whole thing. So that's what I would say. Yeah. A pretty good anecdote I have from even just this past weekend of playing the historic events was like, as the weekend progressed on and the more wins I had under my belt, I could definitely feel a tangible difference in the quality of player I was playing against whether that came from things like deck choice, where I would play against fewer decks where I was like, I don't know that this is even good in the format, to like, within the same matchup, I'd play it several times and be like, wow, this is a lot harder. Like, like they are not making as many mistakes. Their hands are way better. And in a form with like Thoughtseize and stuff, that matters a lot. Specifically within Auras, like I played against it three or four times on the weekend. And in the qualifiers, it was kind of a coin flip how good my opponent was and how well they seemed to know the food matchup. But, uh, like, I played it twice on Sunday, and my first opponent, uh, they just didn't seem to have identified the dynamic of Heliod's punishment in the matchup well, and so I was able to punish that and, like, easily won the match 2-0. Uh, but then in game... Like, the second time I played against it, my opponent was a monster with the deck and was like instantly keeping hands that were going wide against me and playing like multiple threats was not afraid to let creatures die because they were always planning on lurusing in the matchup. And like they were just playing it on a different level than, than my previous opponents. And it's just very tangible. Like as, as you get further in this tournament, they really are picking out like the people who go X to in that tournament. That's a real accomplishment. That's a very big cash. It's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. You're playing like a long, you're playing a day one length day two of a grand prix. It, It really is tough. Yeah, I think I think that's just like a really good way to look at it, you know. So those things are rough. It's cool that you're doing that. And you want to improve with those? I'd say keep it up, and uh, you know, just it isn't fun to say, but you're just gonna have to keep doing that. And with time, it will get a little bit easier. And you know, of course, by being a patron of CC, you already get that point oh one percent increased win rate. So uh, hey, we love yeah. to hear that, you know. <laughs> yeah, and. Like, I have found that I've talked to a lot of my opponents after matches, especially on Sunday, and a lot of them are open to, like, having a chat if you're, like, unsure. There's a great learning resource there, just like you could have at the end of, like, 
and he matched a grand pair of PTQ where you're playing against someone who you think is pretty good and you know has demonstrated they know what they're doing, you can have a conversation and learn from that just like you could in any other match. And there's just a lot of ways to, to level up and grow uh, from playing against players who are also also on the same level or higher than you uh, on as far as like your, your skill goes. So it, it's a big opportunity. You keep plugging at it is obviously like you're never going to succeed if you don't keep trying. Um, but I wouldn't get discouraged that you're having a harder time on Sunday than you're having on, on Friday and Saturday. That just That's just how the system is designed. Yeah. 100%. Well, thank you so much for that question, Slayer, and hopefully that was helpful. And if you want to continue this conversation in the Discord, by all means, tag us. If you have any questions about the response, etc., we'd love to continue this conversation. Or if other people as well, we want to join that conversation in the Discord, go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. You can become a patron of the show. On to our main topic today. Abe, this is something you actually taught me about. Sheesh, what would it have been? Like four or five months ago? It was before Yeah, it Cal was over time. the winter. Yeah, it was It was before even new Cal time cards, I want to say. You know, it was like a while ago. But this is a fearless yeah. magic inventory. So Abe, do you want to give them the lowdown on what that is? Yeah, so the fearless magic inventory is a tool that is like really just a way of logging. Like it's a self-awareness log of where you're at and kind of where you want to be going in Magic. And I think it really comes back to, like, really well with the first episode you had me on for as a guest where I was talking about goals. Like, a Fearless Magic inventory, to me, is the jumping-off point. Like, when you have a goal that's, like, a big one, and, like, improving at Magic or, like, becoming a better player, that has so many ways you can take it. Taking inventory for yourself and doing something very introspective, for me, is always the best place to, like, start gathering information. So what a fearless magic inventory is, is you go and you just write down all of the things that you are good at in magic and you are bad at in magic. And you don't pull any punches with yourself. Like, obviously, be reasonable too. Like, the good things matter, the bad things matter. Like, when you know that you have a weakness in something, especially after you play a bunch of matches and you feel like, man, I could be doing that better. Or, like, wow, I'm really good at this, but I wish I was better at this. Like, you keep all that information in your head, putting it down on paper and knowing are and where you stand and what it is you want to work towards makes it a lot more granular when you can see on a piece of paper like i want to get better at drafting or sideboarding or or any of these numerous skills it gives you an actionable item and that's really what it's great for so it's the perfect tool for knowing where to go and it's the perfect tool for holding yourself accountable when you look back at it right when you set a goal and you're like okay how did I do in the last like few months of trying to get better playing these leagues on Magic Online or grinding the ladder on Arena at thinking through my sideboard plans or thinking through my turns or whatever it is you're working on? You have it written down that that's something you want to improve at, and then you can kind of check it off as you work on it and you feel yourself get better. It's a really useful thing, and I was actually kind of surprised, Mason, that you had never heard of it. Yeah, I had never, I, I mean, maybe I did at some point, but it never really got logged or it was said in passing and no one really took the time to like explain to me. But yeah, I love the concept of the Fearless Magic Inventory. I think one thing that you kind of mentioned at earlier, that I think really should be harped on before we move on from this is you're writing all this down. It's super important to be honest with yourself about this thing. I think that's where a lot of this come from. Like a lot of times I feel like sometimes we're not super honest with ourselves or we don't like to think about the things we're not good at which is reasonable. No one wants to think about why they're bad at this or not great at that. But when you're doing this sort of thing, you need to be honest with yourself and like what you're trying to do. And that's why I personally, one of the things I really love about this is, hey, you're doing this, You're it's, it's a fearless inventory, right? Like you are trying to just put it all on the table so you can work towards improving and bettering these things. So the fearless magic inventory, I think is one of the, the greatest way to improve. And I'm so glad you showed it to me. You know, as soon as I had heard about it, like, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm just going to sit down and do this. So I, I love the the process and the system. I think it's really good. It's been, I think, helpful for me uh, in the time we've done it. Yeah, it's like everyone knows that, like, the first step to solving a problem is admitting you have a problem, right? And, like, when it comes to magic, there's so many things. There's so many problems you can have in your game. And you probably know them already. There's no value in holding on to them and holding up this, like, idea that you're better than you are because that only holds you back so letting it out on paper and going okay this is where this is where i'm bad at and this is where i'm good at let's make it work uh it it makes it a lot easier for a lot of people and and it helps to just put your ego aside especially i felt that doing it with you was really great because uh 
I think that we're pretty similar caliber players and uh, like knowing where we like being able to talk like where we were the same and where we were different was really helpful for me kind of understanding then when we work together, like what it is do I need to learn from you? And like, what is it that I can help you with like better than maybe you? Yeah. What, what can I help you with that you don't already like have as a skill set of yours? Right. Yeah. Like drafting was. Fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love that Where, too. And it's one of the things I, I liked about it was that like, it was a way to also communicate with your friends. Like, Hey, this is something I want to work on. If this is something you feel you're good at, maybe you can help me with this. Or if we feel that we're both bad, maybe we can hold each other like accountable as we try to work on and improve this thing, you know? And I really would suggest if you have someone that you're kind of close to in magic, where you feel comfortable opening up with putting it in a public space, quote unquote, you know, like your friends DMS or tweeting it. If you want to, tweet, we would love to see you tweet them at us. If you want to, you want to tweet at CC or at more new things or at Mason E. Clark. I, I'm down to see them and, you know, look at them. I think, I think this is really great. I think holding yourself accountable and being open and honest about them is so important and so good at helping you improve and i agree Abe. I, I liked when we did it because we also took the time where you and i like we listed our things and we're like okay this is the thing i listed but here is why i listed it and like that's the bullet point this is the thesis behind the bullet point and this is kind of like where my head's at with this sort of stuff i think that was super helpful not only getting us to like know each other and how we work but also to be able to help each other where it's like you know like, hey, this is super important. Abe hates Manadork for some reason. I, I don't know why. I, <laughs> I just, I got to help him with this. And time will get there. You know, so I, I think this sort of thing is just super helpful for uh, making it work and help achieving your goals. Like your your goals are, I think, we, we mentioned it a lot on the show. And I know I have uh, personally and other places as well. But if you don't know what your goals are, or you're not working towards a goal, it's very hard to improve in magic. And it becomes kind of aimless and hard. The fearless magic inventory is a way to like physically put down goals you have and things you want to try and work on. And they're not things that you're going to improve overnight or even in a month or whatever, but they're things you're going to start whittling away at and making them less of a problem. So you're not like, yeah, I don't really want to team draft and not because you don't want to team draft, but because you know, you're going to lose like two people, some money, you know, or whatever, right? Like you're just going to, you're going to be open and honest and work on drafting or whatever. So when opens come back, you can just take some money for some people because they're like, you know, Mason never drafts. So, we would never draft for money, by the way. Yeah, I would obviously. That was just like a hee hee ha ha. It was for the card. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would never draft for cash or bet on the outcome of a game of Magic. That would be against tournament rules. But you know, as a little hee hee ha ha, it's very funny. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I we all knew what you were saying. Of course, of course, of course. Watsy, if you want to give us a preview card, we're still good. We promise. Uh, <laughs> so, with this sort of thing, it's really cool to talk about the Fearless Magic inventory. It's really important. Um, I think for you as a player, but I, I think the, the best way to do this, Abe, is kind of for us to talk in a small detail about our Fearless Magic inventories as a way to not only kind of show what we're working on, where we're at with things, um, but also to give the listeners kind of what the idea is and kind of lead by example. If we want to open up and tell people that, we're going to tell people some things we're not good at, et cetera, et cetera. So, Abe, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I can I can pull a couple off off of my list. It's pretty long, and I'm, yeah. I'm gonna start with the bad because it's way more fun than the good. Because the good is a little like you know, a little I talk about how good I am at magic. You listen to that episode all the time. How bad am I? Like, uh, some examples of things. It's it's a pretty broad range for mine. Um, it ranges from like time allocation, where I feel like often I don't put enough of my time to magic. Um. Things like in-game treating situations as new every time instead of like defaulting to some heuristic that I have about how the game will play out because there's a lot of times I'll find that like there's some piece of information I'm missing in that or I miss an opportunity to do something better or I wind up like letting myself autopilot games that normally I feel like I wouldn't lose or I would like have a firm grasp on but I like oversee that you know maybe i know in their deck list they don't have this thing like they don't have a graph diggers cage in their main deck their blue white deck and i'm playing scared and i could be pressing the advantage and then they wind up like drawing a wrath and punishing me when i when i had no reason to like play scared um like bringing my a game is one where like i feel like as a player i don't always have it i don't have an easy time bringing my best play i think there's a lot of times where i'm like playing a good like solid level of magic and I'm playing at a high level, but I know that I can play better and I know that I can like, I know that at my peaks I'm playing in a way that I can't always play and I don't do enough to bring that. Oh my Um, gosh. I've never thought of this before. You're like an anime villain. 
You like don't start <laughs> off with the max. You're like, like I don't need this to beat Naruto, and he just like come in yeah. there at level one, and it's just like if you just came in there from the start, Naruto would have died, and the fight would have been yeah. over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's funny. Um, okay, I never thought of it like that before. But as you were talking, it hit me. I've, I've got like there's something about like avoiding like big punts, and that's part of like all of it is kind of tied together too. And that's just kind of how I think about things. Is that I like I like to ask myself the question of why. And then, like, iterate. I, like, give myself an answer. Like, okay, well, why is that the answer? And I'll do that, like, four, five, six times until I feel like I'm really at the ground of it. And then I'll move on to something else and do that over again. I think that's a really good introspective process. It's one that, I forget if I read it in a book or if one of my professors at community college taught it to me. But that was, like, the one where he was, like, that is the best way uh, to do it. And... When you identify the seed of that, like for me, a lot of the seed of mine come from the fact that I have a hard time like being as prepared as I need to be and maybe as as prepared as one time I was when I was like playing a lot more in paper and now is is like really hard for me because it's just hard for me to like motivate to play all the all the online matches. Um but like knowing that it means that I can say, okay, I really care about this next tournament coming up or I care about, you know, when we get back to paper tournaments, I care about those. This is something I need to work on because I would also make those mistakes in paper. Like it's not just unique to this. This has made it worse in some aspects, but you know, how is it that I can make it so that I don't play too quickly on the last turn and throw the game or like, don't think my decision all the way through because I feel pressured by time or something. Like I need to get better at allowing myself to take the time to think. Uh, or I need to get better at just doing some quick math in my head about like the odds of me drawing a land or my opponent like drawing one of their four ofs. There's just a lot of like things where I know that I could be doing better and I'm not. And that's what most of my list is. Uh, taking risks, uh, like trying new ideas, uh, seeing the full picture instead of like just looking at specific interactions or like specific shards of it, which you talked about kind of when it comes to we came to auras mm -hmm. uh like that was a moment where i felt like we didn't look at the whole picture again after we had like we like looked at the whole picture and then we started to learn other things and put in like input data and then we never looked at the whole picture again that's just something that i definitely want to get better at yeah. um but that's that's a good amount of mine um i could probably put this in the discord or, or put it on twitter and i wouldn't really feel that bad about it um because all this stuff is stuff I own. If you were to ask me to, you know, sit down and talk with you about it, I would. So uh, yeah. it's not a big deal. But but how about yours? Yeah. So some of my bads are some of them are like stuff that you said in there, like the the shard thing again. Like I think I'm really good at like understanding the big picture of stuff. But then once I get because I need to then work on the little things, and I like that's an area I'm not as good at. But the problem is, is then I don't go back and double check like we just talked about, which obviously is a little bit of cop out here. But like, I think that's a big one for me where it's like double checking your work and not rushing through it uh, is a thing that's come up throughout my life just in general. Uh, you know, I, I have <laughs> I have some learning disabilities and stuff. I remember my dad would joke as a kid that my son's a communist. He's always rushing through everything, which besides being a little bit of a weird joke to say <laughs> your son might not fully get as a kid. It, it's something that's been prevalent through my whole life and it's something I have to work on and it, it shows itself in magic. So I, that's something that I try to work on. Uh, another one is giving my all at all times and also not rushing. Uh, so when it comes to like giving my all, I definitely do think that anime problem, I kind of poke front of you at something that happens with me sometimes where it's just like, I don't need to give it all right now. I'm tired or like, this is round one, like, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I actually feel like I'd done better and started changing that pre COVID. And I, I feel like my results showed that I just was doing much better. You give everyone the time of day, you're going to do a lot better, I think. And I think that's super helpful. But also, I was slowing down a lot. Um, I, I play very quickly, and I am constantly thinking on the turns, and I am very quick to come to a line, and often the first line I come to is normally, at worst, baseline, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, and so, having this happen, I need to slow down and give myself more time to think about things through and think, am I coming on wrong conclusions? Because if I'm you know, building a house out of tea leaves or whatever, right, then it's very easy for it to all fall apart if I'm coming from some wrong information. So... I need to slow down. I think an example of this is in round one of the MIQ this past weekend, uh, Abby started killing me with two minutes on their clock. And I had 22 minutes on my arena clock. 
And so I probably could have given myself some more time. I have dedicated my day to playing this in my queue. Why did I rush through this? Why did I feel like I needed, you know, like, yes, there's a little bit of time pressure, but I had nine hours at that point, you know, there, I could give myself five or six more minutes. And I don't know for sure. I feel like I played really well. I feel like I did some stuff, but maybe I could have squeaked out some more points and maybe I could have won the game or made it a little bit closer and would have won because of time or something, you know? So, uh, because I didn't give myself that, I kind of lost out a little bit of equity there and potentially even lost the game. And I, I don't quite know because I was also playing pretty quickly. Uh, obviously to have that sort of time differential, it's gonna be a little quicker. Uh, but I think that's one for me that kind of pops up a bunch and is a reoccurring thing. Um, it, not accepting baselines is what I put. And I think this is a thing that in some ways it is good what I'm about to say, but in other ways it's really bad. So I think I am very good at being owning my results and what's happened. And so what happens is, is, you know, you X for an SCG or whatever, and it's like not a great finish, right? It's not like something I'm ecstatic about. Like, you know, depending on breakers, you're maybe top 64, maybe you're not, right? But uh, we're top 32, sorry. And like that sort of thing, it, I'm like, okay, we got it. Like, an, like I 11 for the weekend. I had like a 70% win rate or something like that. That's absurd. That's great. But like, that's not what I'm trying to do. And I know that's not what I'm trying to do. I know those aren't my goals. So why am I accepting baseline stuff? when I know that my goals aren't in line with that. It's it's great to X4. I'm not ever going to feel bad about it, but I can't accept that and just like be humble. I need to push harder. Like having a bunch of X4s is cool or whatever. You know what's better? Having a bunch of top eights or whatever. And that's what you're trying to do. So do that and work towards that. And so accepting that, I think along that same line, I have I have a rule, Abe. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but for in, uh, in paper and online as well, but for SCGs when I was traveling them in person, I would not play a speculative deck. And part of that was because I was trying to rack up my points and make sure I locked in buys for going into 2020. But my rules yeah. was baseline good deck. So I didn't always play the best deck, right? Like I didn't play uh, Hogak at one of the tournaments. So I played Humans when it was like, you know, a pretty good choice. I played Arclight when it was a pretty good choice. I did a bunch of things. And I think I very rarely went into the weekend with the best deck for a tournament. Um, I think I did that once or twice maybe the whole time of playing all those SCGs. And... I should try to do that more and I should less be like, yeah, I'm going to play a baseline good deck. I should take a little bit more risk within the good deck baseline, you know, I'm not getting out here shooting some like three pointers or whatever, but I can, you know, do a better job of this. So those are some of mine. And then the, the final one <laughs> is uh, I need to put in like more time to actual gameplay because I think what happens is a lot of the times I will think about things and I will use past gameplay and I will play things out in my head and think about how cards interact. Now those cards inner pieces interlock and interact. And it's very easy in your head to come to those conclusions and get some stuff right. The problem becomes is that sometimes that stuff doesn't happen and play out in games exactly that way and things get a little scrappier. And I think Sam Black taught me this lesson really well of like, if you think your game plans are going to even come out to be remotely the same as they are in your head, you have it way wrong. Magic games are just way too random and way too variance driven. And if your deck functions perfectly, that's great. You probably won that round, but you need to get better at thinking about like the really bad scenarios, interlocking pieces. And a good way to do that is just to play the games that will naturally occur. So those are a couple of my fearless magic inventory things really quick, but I could go on much longer. And when we did this, I think you and I, it was like an hour each, right? When we first did it. So those are just some quick examples of our bad. And I think, like Abe said, you think about the seed and the root cause of all this. A lot of it for me is coming on like assumptions and quickly reacting to things and situations and not getting in the weeds of it all. So like helps me know that's something that I should work on and I've been trying to work on. I think I've been doing a better job at and I did things like like auras is a, is a good but more speculative choice to play in the MIQ than something like Jund, right? Very easily could play Jund, played a lot of Jund, have a lot of Jund reps. But I thought, MI, I thought the Oris deck was better for the MIQ, at least for day one. And I should play that. And it was a good deck, and I had, you know, a fine-ish finish or whatever. But I don't feel like I just default to playing, like, a baseline thing. I, I played the one that seemed best for the weekend. So that's kind of that on my bads. Um, yeah, I mean, that MIQ performance is, is pretty good, right? You came within, like, within a hair in a couple of matches and just fell short. Like, th those break the other way. And yeah. you're talking about days here. So, yeah. For sure. Um, when it comes to good, though, I wanted to kind of talk about this real quick, and we don't need to like harp on our goods or whatever. But I think the thing to remember when you write down your goods 
is it's not these are things that you should stop working on. We should like slack or whatever on. They're just things that you know you already kind of have a good baseline understanding. And putting those on paper helps you realize and contextualize what you're good at. And then hopefully you can find ways to apply that to the things you're bad at, right? If you know where you're good at, you can maybe there's possibly a way to have those work with your bad. So Abe, what is one of the things that you think you're really good at if you had to take like a key one? And you know, what do you uh, think of that? Something that I think I'm really, really good at is like playing games at instant speed. I think that's always been a really big strength of mine is like understanding how to like, and that's also kind of like sequencing, but just like maneuvering spells and making sure that I can line things up well, or that I'm like playing out the cards efficiently and at, at the correct times is something that has always been easy for me. And that's a really, really strong part of my technical play that's motivated my deck choices at times for like, uh, for the early part of, of like me playing tournament magic, it was a huge part. Like I would play exclusively like Sphinx's Revelation, Restoration Angel decks, and like I, I'd be like Snapcast Mana Lake is like one of my favorite things to do. Like games where they have a lot of shifting, uh, shifting dynamics of who's ahead and who's behind, and there's a lot of ways to like punish people because there's so many different options at all times. Um, games like that are ones that I've always kind of had a knack for. And that's like one of my bigger strengths. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a good one. Uh, the one I'm going to talk about here is learning from others. I think that's one of the things that I am particularly good at. I also think it's why I've been able to kind of catch up a lot in a lot of ways with Magic. Um, as I just had some you know pretty strong players locally to me. I was able to learn from them, learn from their losses, their mistakes, their victories, and continue that as I met more people and just listening to them talk and also from content like podcast articles and stuff like that. I think I'm really good at taking away the key point and what matters and then applying it, which I think is super important. I think it, you, it's very easy, I think, to hear something, know that, but then when you get down to the moment, it's like, how do I actually do this or apply this? And I think that is something that I am particularly good at. So I know that I'm good at taking information and acting on it. And when it comes to getting in the weeds of things, I should try to figure out how to make that work. And I've been trying to, you know, I've been trying to use the fact of like watching other people stream and do this sort of stuff or listen to them talk about games and how their scrappy games have played out to give me a better idea of how things are going to actually happen in a, a game of magic. And so that's some of our good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That actually makes me think like, cause I just want to say that like the goods that you can have down can be things like I'm really good at combat math, which I think both of us put down. Yes. Yeah. And they can be things like what Mason just said. Or like one of mine is thinking laterally, like thinking about one problem in one scenario and being like, oh, that's actually just like this. And then like transporting it over and then being able to like understand something really quickly uh, is one of the things that I think I'm good at in a lot of spaces. It's really helped me in school. Um, it really helped me like it really helps me in magic, really helps me understand limited formats really quickly or understand like constructed dynamics really quickly. If you like tell me it's kind of like this matchup that both me and the person I'm talking to know about that says so much more so quickly to me than like, you know, talking about like, Oh, well sometimes they play this and then this happens. It's like, I can know, I can know what it means by knowing that like, it's, it's like another thing. So like the, the like analogy thinking mm -hmm. is really good. And there's like a lot of things like you don't have, when you're writing down these lists, literally put down everything you can think of. If you think there's something that gives you an edge, in magic or you think you're good at in magic that matters to you when you think about how you play magic that goes on the list and if there's something you think matters to you when it comes to like what you think you're bad at with magic you need to get better at that goes down to like that's why i have like my time management and like my uh like my ability to, like research or like my ability to do some of this math is like does that really have to do with my technical play not exactly it's kind of like outside of it but i think it'll help me and if you think it'll help you and you want to be better at it that's something you should put down. I just think like overall it's so good as a tool because it can be whatever you need it to be. It just is what you need it to be. Like it's the perfect place to organize your thoughts. Yep. I agree hundred percent. That kind of does it for this week's episode of fearless magic inventory. Hopefully talking about this and we kind of showed you the importance and hopefully us kind of sharing some of our lists and some of what we're good and bad at was helpful to you and hopefully maybe even shine a light on something you hadn't even thought about when it came to magic. And so hopefully I really do encourage you to say that I really, really encourage you to do this. I think if your goal is to improve, I think this sort of thing is good and it's not 
like it can be very easy to write this list down. I, I know A kind of felt this way. Like he wrote down his list, and he's like, "My bad is so long," and it's like, "Yeah, your bad should be long. We're not PV or whatever, you know. Like it's it's gonna be really long. <laughs> it's it's fine." But it's cool because you're going to work towards things and that list is going to become shorter and shorter over time or it's going to become less true and true over time. You can work towards the thing. I think that's really awesome. I think that's just a great way to actually visualize and see the things and kind of an achievement type moment where you realize, oh, I am doing good at this thing where I'm improving at this thing that I was bad at before. I had wrote down and like told myself I was not so great at. So I think you definitely should do this. And if you want to do this and like clip it or screenshot it or link it and tweet at us or at the podcast, I know I would love to see them, and I'm sure Abe would too. And you know that way you can hold yourself accountable if you don't have someone in your local area for Magic. I would love to see yeah. it. So. And, and if I think it'd be really cool if people want to see it, you know, let us know. But we could probably because we, we're looking for more ways to do like improvement episodes because there are we'll have a, a pretty big push on Strixhaven stuff uh, as the set comes out over the next couple weeks. But, you know, maybe an episode where you ask us, like, what have we been doing with our inventories lately? What have we been working on? Or if there's something that you all feel like a lot of you who share them, uh, like, want to hear talked about, let us know that, too. Like, I know that a big one of mine with not trying to treat situations as, like, new, this week I made sure that I didn't come in super prepared so that I would have to, like, think on my feet more or just think in the moment more about the games I played. And I definitely felt it in the return in, in my gameplay. Like, I, I talked with you off podcast about it, Mason, but mm-hmm. I think this tournament, despite being kind of a disappointing, like, lost my last two to probably miss uh, miss top 12, was one of the most fun experiences I've had playing Magic in a long time. And one of the tournaments where I feel like I was just playing, like, the best I've played since probably the Lotus Box tournaments, uh, where I was still like running off those reps from before COVID mm-hmm. and uh, you know, thinking of ways to implement like ways to improve for these is, is just a great way to go. And I would love to talk about them with, uh, with you if our listeners want to. So I want yeah. to hear that. Yep. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. Hopefully you found this helpful and improving. Abe, if someone wants to find you, where can they go? You can find me on twitter.com slash more nothings or twitch.tv slash more nothing. You can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me at Card Kingdom each and every week doing standard content on Thursdays for their blog. You can find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark, where I am streaming uh, more regularly. I kind of do nighttime streams if you're a U.S. person, so it's a little hard. But if you're, you know, from around the world, you might have a better time tuning into the stream because it's been kind of later at night. So it has its perks in its, uh, in its own way. So thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week for another episode of Constructed Criticism.